Up next, Senator Tim Scott. As we remember Dr. Martin Luther King, we had an opportunity to sit down with um, Senator Tim Scott, the junior senator from South Carolina earlier, to discuss Dr. King's legacy and the impact on his life. Senator, I'm curious, when in your life growing up, racism and bigotry did not have an impact? Wow, when in my life? I, I, as far as I can remember, it's always had a role. Race has always had a role. I think it's, it's hard to grow up in America and not be, as a black man, and not be aware of the issue of race. The question of racism versus race are two very different uh, fundamental questions, but it's always been, uh, at least, it's always been percolating, uh, especially in the Deep South where I, where I grew up. What is, what is the impact, let's do a juxtaposition of the impact of Dr. Martin Luther <clears throat> King during the height of the Civil Rights Movement, during the 60s and a few decades later, versus where we are today, his impact today? Well, I think his impact today is undeniable and measurable by the amount of progress we've made since 1968, especially. I think if you believe that we've made significant progress, and I am a believer that America is better because of the sacrifice, the struggle, and frankly, even the death of Martin Luther King Jr., it was a sad day, a devastating day. And the 60s in many ways were devastating. But one of the blessings comes out of the whole concept of Romans 8, 28, that we know all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And one of the things that you come away with is that his purpose was fulfilled uh, each year after his death in a way that perhaps would not have been possible had this entire nation not stopped and realized the significant contribution of MLK. And every single year we struggled to get a MLK holiday was a way that we illuminated the progress that was being made and frankly the sacrifice that led to that progress. So out of the pain and the misery of the death of MLK came this progress and the focus on overcoming obstacles and creating opportunities where for two centuries there were none. You know, some people would say the world has been an experiment of strife and poverty and overcoming from the Holocaust um, to the Spanish who were once considered in the positions that you would say that minority is in the day. And you can see this trajectory of elevation of triumph, of entrepreneurship, of ownership, of success. And yet, um, some people would say that many American blacks are worse off today than they were during the height of the civil rights movement. How do you bring understanding to that? Well, I mean, if you think if you measure it from uh, American poverty, African-American poverty has hovered around mid-20s for a very long time. That's a challenge without any question. So you could say that from the early 1970s to where we are today, that there's been a constant uh, level of poverty in the African-American community. I would push back against that thought, though, to be honest with you. I would suggest that having Robert Smith as the an African-American worth five or six billion dollars is something that was not even possible in the 1960s. A multimillionaire, certainly not a billionaire, but a multimillionaire in those days would have been such a rare occasion, if at all. If you think about the ac academic achievement and the success of this nation, it's hard to argue that having an African-American president was not a monumental achievement, not for Barack Obama only, but frankly for America as a whole. So having President Obama 
for America is a sign that the dream not only was alive, but that the dream had feet, that we actually have been able to measure the progress in this nation. I would suggest that having some of the lowest, actually the lowest recording of African-American unemployment in the history of the country is another suggestion and reinforcement. It suggests that we're making progress, but it reinforces that you can measure that progress. So while things are hard in many ways, there's no question that the progress that we've made is monumental. We have not taken steps forward. We've taken a leap forward. Now, there is a real challenge of civility and toxicity in the public forum. That is something that we have to fight against at all costs. The truth is, though, that obstacles always precede opportunities, that there's always a struggle before there's a success. There are always problems before the promise emerges. You're familiar with the names of Thomas Farr and Ryan Brands and Charlottesville, where you took the Senate to task. You're the reason why they were not confirmed uh, as judges. And, uh, and you also took the president to task on Charlottesville and the issue of racism. You've never been an apologist for that. Does that mean that still sometimes leadership is out of touch with what real racism is and sometimes we give credibility to it? Is, there, is it that you're more sensitive about it because of your own experience? Or just how do you, when you are look at your own body and they're trying to confirm people that you saw to be racist and they're racist writing and you are not having it. And even the president who embraced Charlottesville, how do you continue your support and embrace of those bodies and the tremendous respect you have for the president, but also educating both your body and the White House at the same time? Well, out of the 170 judges that we've confirmed, I've had challenges with two of them. So I think the fact is that that number in and of itself suggests that we are moving significantly and quickly in the right direction. The two that I had problems with, I won't call them racist because I'm not sure what's in their hearts and I can't go through that. But what I can say is that they were unacceptable as candidates for me. And that seemed to have had a positive impact on the party, the Republican Party, and our rejection of those candidates. So I am thankful that I am a part of a party that listens to my voice, understands my experience, and is willing to vote consistent with that. Same thing with the president. Uh, Charlottesville, he and I were on, uh, you know, diametrically opposed on the issue of who's on either side. Having the chance, because the White House called me and said, Tim, we want to understand your situation, your, your, your understanding of history, and why you were so opposed to the president's comments. I respect and appreciate the fact that he had the wherewithal, the courage to call me into the Oval Office and have a serious conversation about the issue of race. I also said before I went in there, anyone over the age of three to suggest that I'm going to change your mind, your worldview in 30 minutes is ridiculous and unrealistic. Having the president say at the end of that conversation, while we didn't find ourselves on the same page, what we found was a way forward. And that's what America really should be about. It's the way forward. He suggested that he was willing to do something to help people that he had offended. And he asked me how to do so. I, I recommended that the Opportunity Zone legislation that I had crafted would be a fantastic way to see those folks in distressed communities have the best option for new resources to confront the challenges that they face. He said, without question, yes. And since then, he has been a part of major accomplishments for African-Americans and minorities in this country, and at the same time, address the issues of poverty from HBCU support, historically black colleges, universities, having the fly-ins, adding more money to the Pells, going year-round for Pells. Big accomplishment for HBCUs. We have permanent funding accomplished 
by President Trump for the first time in ever, forever, we also had criminal justice reform. So the fact of the matter is what I found that, I, that it's been constructive and helpful with this administration is while we have times when we are far apart and I call it on the carpet, I call it to the carpet, the truth is that every time I've done that, something constructive comes out of it. And that's one of the reasons why I'm optimistic about the future of this country. It's when people are diametrically opposed and both sides are looking for not something called compromise, but common ground, it makes it easier for us to move this message of hope and opportunity, which is my life mission, forward. And I've been able to have the president join, uh, jump on board with sickle cell anemia, doing more research. We've had help on black farmers by giving folks access to the farm programs, even though they are working on heirs property. We've had substantial and significant and consistent success and it just doesn't get the coverage it deserves. Is racism and bigotry about white people, or is it about all people? Well, uh, bias is always about all people. There is something uh, in our DNA that the first word we say is not mom or dad, it's no or mine. Uh, we, we are consistently having to educate ourselves to the reality that the world is not about me. And so that's where bias comes from. And sometimes bias comes in the form of racism. Sometimes it comes in the form of sexism. Sometimes it comes in other forms. But here's what I realized is that it's hard to hate what you know. It is hard to hate what you know. And so the more often we spend time with people unlike ourselves, the more likely we are to overcome those preconceived ideas and notions about who they are and who we are. Uh, that is so easy to do and we do it so rarely. Myself and James Langford came up with a program that says uh, Solution Sundays. It says, have lunch or dinner in your house, not at a restaurant, but bring them into your house with people who are not like yourself. When we do that, the walls come down most often and we find ourselves in a position of progress and success. You know, I wanna continue that thread. You know, uh, you are a son of South Carolina. You were appointed um, by our former governor, Nikki Haley to the Senate and you won by a landslide. Your popularity is overwhelming, unmatched almost. That's just not from just say certain black people. It's just that people support, they respect your values, they respect your philosophy, they respect the fact that you understand constituent service, you understand business, and you're a man about results. Isn't that more than anything else when you say people get to know you, what transforms people into better human beings? I, I think so, and this goes right back to Martin Luther King, Junior. Uh, he always focused on the content of your character and not the color of your skin. And what you just articulated beautifully is that we live in a time where one of the sons of the South, born in a single parent household, mired in poverty, can actually run a race for Congress in the place where the Civil War started against Strom Thurmond's son and a majority white population says 68 to 32 we want this kid from a single parent household because the, the, the content of his mission, his agenda is consistent with what we want. They said not yes or no to the color of my skin. They said yes or no to my agenda. And, and that speaks volumes about who we are in South Carolina and what we believe. And anyone who denies progress, just think about that for a little while and if you don't know the name Strom Thurmond, take a look. Uh, our state tr was transformed in the last 50 years. And I'm thankful that this nation 
has the beginning of the Civil War as the epicenter of racial reconciliation from the race I ran to something far more important and absolutely more powerful, the Emmanuel Nine. When as a result of a racist walking into an African-American church, actually the mother church, Emmanuel, Mother Emmanuel Church, that spawned and produced African-American churches throughout this throughout the Southeast, walks into a our church where my, my uncle attended for 50 years, sat through a Bible study. He came to the heart of Dixie, so to speak, to the place where the Civil War started, to start a race war. What did he do as a result of that? Uh, I think it was Daniel Simmons Jr. who quoted Romans 8, 28 to me when I asked him, what should I say on the floor of the Senate seven days after that atrocity? He said, let people know that good things are coming out of this. And with tears in my eyes, I could not believe the, the words coming out of his mouth entering my ears. I'll tell you, the impact of his faith and his leaning into adversity reminded me of our response in 1968, our response in the early 70s, our response in the early 80s, our response in the 90s. What, what is consistent about the struggle is significance and success. And I can't think of a better way of ending the conversation for now than to remind us that as hard as it has been, and Emmanuel 9 was hard on Charleston, hard on South Carolina, hard on America. What rose up were 20,000 people on a bridge holding hands of all races. What rose up was the coming down of the Confederate flag. What rose up was this notion that we are better together. And for that, I'll spend the rest of my life fighting for. Senator Tim Scott, thank you. I want to thank our junior senator from South Carolina for joining us for our strong cast today.